0: Hello, 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 podcast listeners. Thank you so much for choosing the show. Pete 4c your host, the podcast, that's the show, July 4th, right around the corner, but we got a lot of ball to talk about. Jets and hard knocks, NFL running backs, NIL and college football, Jamar Chase to Fon Diggs, some wide receivers being divas as usual, and then the Mets, Padres, Cardinals, a lot of Heavyweights in the National League, they're struggling. And should you trade Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado if you're the St. Louis Cardinals? We've got all that talk here. It is episode 117 of the podcast. So at my day job, there is a frequent phrasing of how we go about improving on our areas of weakness or our struggles or any sort of failure. It's a great place to work. Really enjoy it. Really good company. A lot of good benefits. It allows me to do this in the evening. And one thing that I've noticed when there are shortcomings with the organization, they never explicitly say that we need to be better. Team, we got to be better. We have sucked in this area. It's never phrased like that because they always want to breed optimism. So it's always phrased as, Here's an area of opportunity. And it makes sense. I get it. Nothing that bothers me. But I thought of that when looking at the Jets and Hard Knocks. And I don't see that area of opportunity. I don't see the struggle necessarily with the show. Other than that, it's outdated. When it started in 2000 or 2001 with the world champion Ravens, we didn't have the access to the front office and their team meetings. We didn't have the access to Shannon Sharp or Tony uh, Bishotti, however you say his name. I think Bishotti is actually the Ravens owner, uh, the the big heavy lineman who was always a, a a bit of a comedy act who has since passed away. You didn't have the ability to actually get to know these guys where you do on Twitter and Instagram and all the different interviews that happen now because of technology. So HBO Hard Knocks was an exclusive event. And if you didn't have the opportunity to actually sit down at 9 o'clock on Tuesday through cable on HBO, you missed the show. And that was your only opportunity to actually view it. Maybe someone would give you a short blurb in the newspaper the next day, but if you didn't have the newspaper, you didn't hear about it. And maybe in that interview, you have Brian Billick, the head coach of the Ravens, slamming a fourth-round rookie wide receiver. And you're like, oh, shoot. He just put him on blast. I can't believe he just did that to the public. But the news didn't travel as fast back then in 2001. Hell, even in 2010. Sure, we had the internet and things made head waves, but they didn't exactly travel as fast as they do now in 2023 if there's something on hard knocks here later on in august that show is released on hbo max at 901 central standard time i'm gonna know about something that is said by 904 p.m potentially if there's big big news and that's where with the jets going on hard knocks the only way i see this being a success is if they release the The footage, If they empty the clip, so to speak, on this Aaron Rodgers Jets dynamic, which nowadays they're so protective, they don't want anything to be a distraction. That's where when you hear coaches or even players saying that they don't even like the idea of hard knocks, that's a bunch of baloney because they have final say on what's actually delivered from a content perspective. They can edit out whatever the hell they want. And if the Jets really want to capitalize, just from a marketing perspective, on this Aaron Rodgers trade, not only with Ws, but they need to allow this to be much like the Rex Ryan's Jets and their HBO Hard Knocks, because that really got people going back in 2009. People loved that Hard Knocks. And it has the potential to be up at that level. And they can really get this hype train moving forward even better if they release the good stuff. Don't limit it to the rookie draft picks. I don't want to hear about them. I want to hear about Bryce Hall, his recovery from an ACL, Aaron Rodgers, uh, uh, Randall Cobb, maybe the trade dynamics that happened back in April and May when things were at a standstill. So, do I think that hard knocks can reinvent themselves? No, but they can definitely get back to their roots. And that's release uh, release the footage, empty the clip, so to speak, and give me the good stuff. Don't hold back. If Aaron Rodgers is blasting a rookie wide receiver behind closed doors, I want to see that. And if you're New York, give me that. That is excellent footage. That's compelling. And I understand you want to win a Super Bowl, you want to get in the playoffs, but this is too big of a marketing opportunity just, just to get your fan base back on board and even get others back on board because you got a superstar quarterback. Uh, I don't know if you have a good head coach, but you obviously have a really talented roster and you're going to be able to go up against the heavyweights in the AFC. Get me, get me back into the show, get me back on board with New York jets football. And I think it's really just going to be getting back to the, the the roots of hard knocks and, and, Really capitalizing on an opportunity that is all rare nowadays when we when we talk about this show. So plenty of really good running backs still not under contract between the Raiders, the Vikings just released Cook, a lot of Miami Dolphins rumors there, even Patriots, I think that would be an excellent fit. Obviously, Saquon and the Giants at a standstill, and it really highlights that this is just not a position where you can earn a lot of money. Unless you're a dynamic back, you cannot earn a whole bunch of cash over a long period of time. you got to capitalize on it while you can. And Saquon Barkley is a situation. The guys had one really good year, two really good years, sandwiched uh, in between have been a pile of injuries. Saquon Barkley is definitely wanting to get paid for leadership and intangibles within the locker room and the way I see it with the Giants is that they're looking at this as a one-year deal and if he wants to walk after that then so be it and that's where I think Joe Sheen is correctly going about this but as we've seen with the Giants they love paying their guys they love uh, backing their draft picks whether it's just seeking validation and wanting to pump up how they have drafted good players and quality players and then extending them as a way of kind of validating that to, to the rest of the world, it's not always a good route to go. We, we've seen it with Daniel Jones. I know Daniel Jones was good last year. I don't think he's great. I think paying Saquon $14 million a year would be a mistake because he just has not held up against the test of time with, with the position. Has he improved his blocking? Yeah. Has he been solid in the passing game? Yeah. But overall, he's just a runner on the ground and you don't pay just a runner you pay a weapon you pay a guy out of the backfield that can do it all that's where at the time with zeke i was all on board for it he he was a do-it-all purpose back now the tread on the tires did did that wear off sooner than we expected yes did zeke maybe mail it in did he show up out of shape most of the next two training camps yeah i think think he did i think zeke kind of lost his his uh, motivation for a little bit, he got it back by, but by that time, you know, things were too late. So with Saquon, I think he's really got to capitalize on this year and then hit the market and and go elsewhere after the twenty twenty three season. And with Jacobs, that that's a guy that they really liked over in Vegas. But again, it goes back to the idea that y- you have to be an all purpose back, and he's got a few of the ingredients here, but. is the top of the market for a guy like that. And Dalvin Cook epitomizes exactly what this position looks like. I think he's a guy the Vikings should have held on to. But the fact that Minnesota gave up on him is an indictment on their roster. The general manager either is arrogant in the fact that he believes he can get an equal player in Alexander Madison or some other draft pick and equate that to a Dalvin Cook, or he thinks the Vikings are going to suck, and Dalvin Cook is a worthless piece of this roster because they think they're just going to, to be an awful team here in 2023. And that tells me that because when I see Dalvin Cook play, that guy still got it. And I think if the Dolphins were to get him, I think if the Patriots were to get him, I think if anybody were going to get him, he would be a hell of a piece because that guy still has it from a running back perspective, he can affect you in the passing game. He's a, uh, a capable blocker, but more importantly, that outside running game, he is a weapon on the ground. And I think he's going to make any team happy, but it just goes to show you got to strike while the iron's hot because he did that. He cashed in back in 2020 with the Vikings. He became a salary cap casualty, and he's going to have options moving forward. So I think that's where... If you're Saquon, if you're Jacobs, if they put a deal in front of you that's pretty good, you should probably take it and not worry too much about respect. Worry about getting as much money as you can in a career at a position that's typically pretty short. So I just had it pushed to my phone, and I have to admit, it is exhausting keeping up with NCAA rules and the new regulations with... NIL and even just roster changes because guys can jump year to year, and also the violations that that's few and far between now because of NIL and uh, because of guys getting paid, and also coaches having more leeway and what they can provide their players. You, You don't see too many violations, but all of it has just become chaos and. I do believe that it's going to affect and we'll see it 4 or 5 years down the road and by that time I believe the Nick Sabans, uh Dabo, um maybe even a uh a Jimbo Fisher or Kirby Smart, not going to say that they're all going to leave college football, but they might want to jump to the NFL and see what they can do or they'll take a break from the college football ranks because One thing that it's going to do is make it increasingly more difficult to actually build a program. You hear coaches use the word program all the time because they're not interested necessarily in just having good seasons, but they want to build something sustainable, a pipeline of culture and the type of players that they're looking for over time. But if you have 18- and 19-year-olds that are chasing the money, and chasing the short-term reward, and you have boosters that are of influence and promising things that are not actually hired and on staff by the football program, that'll make things pretty difficult if you're Jimbo Fisher or if you're Dabo. And they were born in an era where it was just, you recruit the player, they don't get paid, and they have to stay here for three years or they're unhappy or they just deal with it and really power through, three, power through things and they make a, a spot on your roster and they make an impact. Things used to be very simple that way. And there was a whole bunch of outcry because people thought it was unfair and they thought it was un-American. And, you know, we've since, since gone the complete other direction. And what it's cost is just... A complete transient community. I have no idea who's on the Missouri Tigers this year. Other than I know that Eli Drinkwitz is entering another season where he's won seven to eight games. And Mizzou is probably born for the Tennessee Bowl that they go to every year. The the Music City Bowl. And it's probably going to be the same deal here in the SEC moving forward. Because that's how Mizzou does it. And there's a lot of other programs that are probably in the same boat. Who's on our roster? Are they any good? Are they actually good because they were recruited by Alabama? Or were they someone that got a shit ton of cash, maybe $80,000, maybe in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then they stopped working hard because they thought they made it? It's not all that enjoyable for a majority of college football programs, and it makes it very difficult to actually build something that's sustainable. So am I bemoaning the fact that athletes are paid just in general? No. No. I don't care. I really don't. I'm kind of past that at this point. I used to think it was something they should not dip their toes into, but it's part of reality now. But the fact that they just do not have this regulated, and it's the wild, wild west, and everybody's just picking up and moving at the drop of a hat, is not good for head coaches. It's not good for a fan base that wants to see lots of wins over a long period of time. And they're they're gonna have to tamp down on this pretty soon here because it's gonna get ugly and it's gonna get ugly for a lot of reputable teams out there in college football. So it's been a few weeks since this came out, but I wanted to touch on Jamar Chase, Stephon Diggs, a couple of different situations. Jamar Chase, I thought what he said about Pat Who was fairly harmless, but yeah, any time that you lose to the world champions, the, the Super Bowl champs, and the playoffs, I, I probably wouldn't take a dig at the quarterback in the offseason. It makes you look pretty small. I know Jamar Chase is is a superstar. That connection with Burrow is going to be something that we hear about for the next decade, and the Bengals are going to be a force to be reckoned with for a long time, no matter who's their coach. Uh, I, I do think Zach Taylor is potentially in his last year. That's my bold prediction of 2023. But it, just not really a, a good rule of thumb to be doing that. And Travis Kelsey, uh, and and Mahomes, they had some clap back, but again, pretty mild. But it just goes to show that the Chiefs, they they are the hunted now. Two out of four Super Bowls in the last five years, I think it is. They are they're on top in the AFC and the NFL in general. They they got a really good thing going, uh, you know, with with, with Kelsey. And with Chris Jones, who needs an extension, he's going to get it. There's no doubt in my mind that uh, uh, that Brett Veach is going to get that done with the Kansas City front office. They have a Hall of Fame head coach. It's it's the rare combination that you get, and that train's not slowing down. And I understand that the Bengals feel like they're somewhat close to that, but let's not talk. Okay, If you're not there, it just makes you look small, and the nothing epitomizes this more than, talk is cheap. And that's where St- Stephon Diggs with the Buffalo Bills, he just went radio silence and he was getting irritated by people on social media and in, in the media in general throwing out, I guess, lies or caps as he called it because he was absent from an OTA practice. And yeah, did the Bills do him any favors by saying they were very concerned? probably not. But at the same time, if you had issues with Josh Allen and the way he communicated with you or how you were used last year in 2022, maybe that was something you should have figured out in, hmm, I don't know, February, March, April. Like, OTAs were in May, if I recall, and early June. So, that is not the time to really bring this back to the table and air out something that was last year. Teams, coaches, executives, they're on to 2023. They're ready to turn the page. And if you feel like you were disrespected or something wasn't communicated to you, that's something you should have taken care of months ago. And let's not forget, Stefan, you had a career year last year. So if this is just about a loss against the Bengals in the playoffs, let's remember also that usually you see some tough teams in the playoffs, and I think everybody's trying to win. They're not trying to have their best wide receivers, such as yourself, disappear. There's nothing selfish going on in a playoff game against the Bengals. So very strange situation that he wants to... Have this surface once the team reconvenes for their mandatory OTAs or, uh, or mini camp in June. Should have taken care of this in February. Should have taken care of this in March. And Diva wide receivers will be Diva wide receivers in the end. Probably not going to affect too much. But when you're trying to get the program off on the right foot. And then your head coach has to explain why you're not in the building. And he has to categorize it as Very concerned you're partially to blame for that. Again, I don't think McDermott did his team any favors by explaining it that way, but he was also trying to make a point to you that he doesn't understand clearly what's going on here because he told the public that he was really worried that you weren't there. So obviously something fishy going on there, something to monitor, and just not a great way to start the 2023 Bills overall. So Steve Cohen, owner of the New York Mets, has tweeted out, again, love that he does this stuff, he's going to speak before tomorrow's game, I think it is, and then Billy Epler, the general manager, backs Walter, saying that he's the guy to get us back on track. Haven't read his full comments as far as what he said about Buck Walter. but one thing that I'm noticing with the Mets and the Padres, who are star-studded with Soto, Machado, Tatis, and uh Matt Carpenter, Nelson Cruz, the Cardinals, of course, who have a bunch of veteran players as well, arenado Goldschmidt. These teams in the National League that have a lot of veteran players, the Mets got a whole bunch of 30-year-olds and uh Starling Marte, uh Kana, um, uh Pete Alonzo, he's been in the league for now four years, hard to believe it. All these veteran teams are really struggling to mount comebacks. Once they are losing they're done. Once we are past the sixth inning with any of these teams, they do not win ball games, And I think what we're finding is that the pitch clock has really sped things up on them, not only physically, but mentally as well. They're not able to make the adjustments, whether it's with the pitcher or whether it's with, uh, you know, them mechanically at the plate. There's just not enough time. And the f- fan in me, The consumer, I don't necessarily like that. I want to see more comebacks. Is it also maybe a problem of them just not adjusting at this point in time or not having enough time? Perhaps. But I think it's definitely valid, and you can corroborate it when you look at the Diamondbacks. Very young team. The Cincinnati Reds won 12 in a row. The Miami Marlins, they're four games back in the NL East and uh, several games over five hundred. In the National League, there's a lot of young teams that are playing really good baseball. And I have to think that a lot of it has to do that their minor leaguers have been playing with this pitch clock before. So I look at each of these teams. Bob Melvin, that guy's not getting fired. He led the Padres to the championship series last year. He's done great. Ali Marmol, I'm lukewarm on him. I don't think he's necessarily issue. I also don't think he's all that great. He's in the pocket of John Mazalok. He's not going to get fired. And I think Showalter with New York, while people in Queens would be happy because it would be in a reaction and it would be a statement by the owner, that's not going to help things either. These teams need either A, need to get a lead sooner in baseball games or learn how to adjust to the pitch clock. Because I can tell you right now, Major League Baseball, they ain't getting rid of the pitch clock. As much as I would like that to be considered in October baseball games, and maybe even just lengthening the pitch clock a little bit that ain't going to happen because it's been a very positive impact for their pockets their 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 uh their uh money <laughs> so that that's not going to happen and that's the only way you're going to win if you're one of these three teams you got a veteran roster and you're going to have to adjust because right now i think it's just mounting on them and it's piling up a lot of losses and they're going to be on the doorstep of the playoffs if they Don't get things turned around soon. It's been talked about here in St. Louis for perhaps two weeks now, and I get the sense, again, I have not read it, and I like to make that abundantly clear. I think Ken Rosenthal uh, is looking or wrote an article about the Cardinals maybe needing to consider trading Goldschmidt and Arenado, and that's obviously uh, a pretty bold statement. Ken, very well connected in the baseball world. He's got to write a piece every day. My guess is he just says the Cardinals should consider it. He's probably likely not saying that they absolutely 100% need to. He's just throwing out the idea. And I get that as a reporter. I think any national reporter is going to do that. I am with the masses that that's not a good move for the Cardinals this year or next year. And they're not going to do it. You just don't find Arenados and Goldschmidt's in a prospect pool. I don't care how good a team's farm system is. You have to be otherworldly. You have to be generational to even achieve what Arenado and Goldschmidt has in the big leagues to be considered worthy of, uh, of a trade like that. Goldschmidt was traded with one year left on his contract because Arizona knew we can't afford him. He's going to leave for greener past year, so we may as well get something for him now. The Cardinals, they have the cash, and they have enough of a farm system and of a roster right now to turn things around in the next year. So while 2023 might be a lost cause at this point, not definitive by any means, 2024 and winning the Central is well within the realm of possibility. That would not be good for the 2024 Cardinals. And in the end, you're in this business to win. You're competitive. You want to have a good 2024 season. Arenado, he's on the team through 2027. What the hell are you going to get for Nolan Arenado if you trade him right now? Potentially a lot, but in theory, that only happens if the other team is moronic. Who is going to trade Nolan Arenado for four top-level prospects in their system. They're just not going to do it. So I am totally with the masses here that you don't trade Nolan Arenado, you don't trade Paul Goldschmidt, but this really is not much of a story at all. This is Ken Rosenthal here on June 27th trying to drum up interests and throw out possibilities. Entertainment, his job is to drive entertainment. Here as the trade deadline approaches within five weeks. Is this going to happen? 100% no. It's not the Cardinals' MO. It's not good decision-making for their baseball teams, and I think Ken Rosenthal knows that. And the Cardinals, they still have time to get things turned around. Is it unlikely? I think that's fair to say. But I do not think they're totally out of it, and they certainly are not a better baseball team in 2024 if they do not have Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt. That is going to do it, folks. Appreciate you choosing the podcast. Please, please, please leave a review. Five stars if you're so inclined. If not, no stars, one stars, that's fine. Tell me why you don't like the show. If you do, tell your friends about it. Have them follow me. Have them like me. Whatever, Apple and Spotify and Amazon and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Categorize it as. Please go ahead and click the follow button. Tell your friends, your family. Whoever likes to listen to podcasts, what we're doing here, it's the podcast, All Things Ball. Thanks so much. We'll see you guys soon.